We're continuing today in the teaching series we started a few weeks ago, in which we're asking the question very simply, what are we doing here? I mean, why do we bother doing this? And, and coming together, even as followers of Jesus, what's the reason behind all this? And as we've observed in previous weeks, and if you haven't been with us, you can either watch those messages or listen to them on our website, or you can go to iTunes to listen to them if that would be of help. But we've been observing that as followers of Jesus, we believe that we're to be learning from, emulating the way Jesus lived life. And as you look at Jesus' life, you see that three relationships had primary focus for him. Uh, we're simply calling them up, in, and out. And our symbol is a way of remembering them in this way. And the cross at the center of our symbol is to remind us, just as that first relationship for Jesus, the up relationship with his Father, so we, through Christ, are to walk in that relationship above all. And, and then secondly, the circle reminds us of the in dimension that Jesus lived in his life, of walking with those that were of his faith, his community of faith together. Likewise, symbolizing us coming together. And then thirdly, the arrows in our symbol are to remind us about Jesus focused on reaching out to those that didn't yet know him, as, as we are, to, to walk in those three dimensions. And it's a reality as we look at Scripture that those three relationships are really essential for each one of us to walk in spiritual health. And over the past two weeks, we've been looking at that up dimension, a relationship with God through Christ. And this week, we're going to consider in together. So let's pray together and ask God to guide us in this. Will you pray with me? And, and Father, how we thank you that this gathering isn't just a human endeavor, that you are here with us. And so we would pray that by your gracious spirit who's here present, mingling with us and within us through faith in Christ, would you prompt me for one as I share, Father, and would you truly give us an ability to set aside the things from this week that might consume us and, and hear what you are seeking to say to us today. Form us in this, we pray. And we ask it together in Jesus' name. And again, all God's people say, amen. Russell Robinson notes that you really don't have to be a follower of Christ or a churchgoer to recognize that, that people need each other. Prisoners, we'd say, know, know the pain of being behind bars away from the community of normal life. And, and they view solitary confinement as the worst expression of their imprisonment. Being subjected to extended aloneness it actually can, it can kill the spirit, it can introduce insanity, even destroy a person. The American senator and former Vietnam prisoner of war, John McCain, has described the elation he experienced in, in the war prison when he was reunited with fellow prisoners after a, a horribly long and brutal time of solitary confinement. This is what he wrote. I was overwhelmed by the compulsion to talk nonstop face to face with my obliging new cellmate. I ran my mouth ceaselessly for four days. He adds, one of the more amusing spectacles in prison is a sight of two men, both just released from solitary confinement, talking their heads off simultaneously, neither one listening to the other, both absolutely enraptured by the sound of their own voices. <laughs> and, and friends, whether you are an extrovert or an introvert, regardless of your preferred level of personal independence, 
we all need, we all long for some degree of companionship, relational connection, community with other people. So here's a question for us today. Who would be history's leading expert on experiencing community? I mean, who best understands the intricacies of human nature and all the subtle nuances of group dynamics? How it is that transformation actually happens in our life? That to whom would you go for advice on how to create a, a life-changing, life-shaping, life-giving community? You won't be surprised that in my opinion, without question, the answer would be Jesus. One writer makes this observation. When Jesus was thinking about how to extend his movement and his dream beyond his own physical life on earth, he did one thing. He didn't start a country. He didn't form an army. He didn't create a university or an institution or a corporation. He didn't endow a foundation. Rather, he started a small group. He started a small group, and that small group had a very simple curriculum. This is what we read of it in the Gospel of Mark, in Mark chapter 3. And friends, this is a word of God. And it says in verse 13, And Jesus went up on the mountain, called him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve whom he also named apostles, so that, so that they might be with him, and he might then send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. So here is Jesus, God in the flesh, coming to bring the kingdom of God, and he has a plan. We ask, what was Jesus' plan? The plan was simply that they would be with him. They'd hang out with him together. And then, out of that relational strength, and then out of that, they would be sent out. And, and we think of this together, out of all the things that Jesus could have done, out of all of them, why did he do that? Because Jesus understood that's how lives are changed. That's where character gets shaped. So understand this. From the very beginning, this Jesus movement of which we're a part really was a small group movement. And the main curriculum was simply this. Walking through life together. And, and so they would learn together. They would travel together. They would pray together. They'd argue together at times that they would forgive together. And, and in all of this, Jesus would be right there together with them. I mean, when they tried to serve God, Jesus would be together with them. When they failed, he'd be together with them. When they were sick or when they were discouraged, when they were confused, they would do it together. They would walk through life together. And so the plan was simply together, one another with Jesus. To put it more simply, it was just life on life. And over time, you, you think of this, over time as they watched and, and listened to and learned from Jesus. And, and, and then finally, in the book of Acts, as the followers of Jesus had the Holy Spirit come upon them, then they came to realize, oh, this is the plan. <laughs> this is it. So, so as a church, think of this. We are called the body of Christ. As the church, the body of Christ was first being formed, they are described in this way. Listen to this description. This is in the book of Acts, chapter 2, verse 42. And it says, and they devoted themselves, means that they were constantly diligent in the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. 
they were constantly diligent in the fellowship. Now that word fellowship, it's not a word we use a lot in our days, apart from kind of church life, is it? You probably didn't use it much this week in your office. But I, I think that word fellowship has been cheapened in many ways. I think when we say fellowship now, we tend to think of kind of church lunches or those little triangle sandwiches, right? Which actually are really good. But, but let's understand what is meant by fellowship in, in that passage in Acts chapter 2. That word fellowship, we translate from the original Greek word, which is koinonia. Now that word koinonia is translated in other places in the New Testament as communion. Communion, that's what's being spoke of here. So understand, so koinonia fellowship describes not just 10 minutes of saying hello after a worship gathering, as helpful as that might be. But rather, koinonia, it is having some people in communion with you, where, where we do life together. That, that you laugh, you cry, you celebrate together, you share with, you, you serve one another, you give to the others, you receive from them. In the earliest church, uh, the early followers of Jesus, they were devoted to that. Look at verse 46 in Acts 2. It says this, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and sincere hearts. Now, we're going to come back to that verse a bit later today, but I want you to notice one thing as we look at it right now. And it's just simply that phrase, in their homes, in their homes. That's a picture that's drawn here. It was in their homes. And that, that tells us something about how Jesus' kind of life-on-life -life plan was lived out in the early church. Because when you read through, if you read through the book of Acts, you'll notice there are these continual references to kind of clusters of believers, little communities who gather together in homes. So even just in the book of Acts, you find them described as followers of Jesus gathering in the home of a Philippian jailer, in the home of Mary, the mother of John, in the home of Jason, the home of Titius Justus, in Philip's house, in Lydia's house. That, that's where followers of Jesus gathered. So when the New Testament letter writers, when they started writing the epistles to believers, that's why they greeted believers by saying, as you read the epistles, to the believers at the house of Priscilla and Aquila, or the house of Aristobulus, or, or those who meet in the home of Narcissus, which was apparently a group of recovering egomaniacs. Just my guess. Or, or those in the home of Anesiphorus or Archippus. I mean, understand this. In the New Testament, the idea was not that you had a small group or home group that you could be part of kind of as an option in the spiritual life. Small group, a, a group of friends that met in homes, that was the church. That, that was it. I mean, they didn't have church buildings really until 300 years later. I mean, they met in synagogues. They met in other places where they were gathered together collectively. But understand the heart of church life was in homes. And, and, and their basic plan was a plan that Jesus modeled for them and taught them. It was this life together, this life-on-life -life plan. So let's understand. Friends, the plan hasn't changed. Don Bergen writes this. The Holy Spirit did not say at some time in church history, okay, now we're going to switch things up a bit and start another way of thinking about church. So that when you talk about church, what you will now think of is one big building that you go to once a week for a worship service and where everything else is just kind of optional. 
Maybe nobody ever will ever get to know you. Maybe nobody will ever get to know your heart. Maybe you'll never discover your spiritual gifts or get to serve people or grow together. But at least you will have been to a proper church service. There was never a shift like that. Never. It has always been this together plan. I mean, together with Jesus and together with your little community. So we then ask the question, so what was so vital about walking together in community? What is so vital about this in-dimension that Jesus modeled in his own life for, for us to follow? Why is that so critical for us? And in the remainder of our time, I want to consider three apparent reasons that Jesus in Scripture points to to guide us in understanding why we each need that deeply. So let's start here. One reason that in, kind of walking together in community, is so vital to Jesus is this. It, understand, it's not primarily because we're sinful or so inadequate on our own, although we are. It's not primarily because we, we need accountability, although we do. And, and it's not because we deeply long for authentic, loving community, and, and that we do. Nor is it because life change happens best in community, although, friends, it truly does. Understand this, that the core reason that our living in community is so vital to Jesus actually has little to do with us. It is because, primarily, our God exists in community. That's the starting point. By, the, by that it means our God always has and always will live in vibrant, loving, joyful community. As God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God in three persons. The Trinity is the term we use to speak of it. Who has lived in community together for eternity past and eternity future, he will. The New Bible Dictionary, I love how it puts it. Listen to these words. In his essential life, God is a fellowship. This is perhaps the supreme revelation of God given in Scripture. God is a fellowship. Can you say those four words with me? God is a fellowship. It begins with who our God is. It comes out of his being in this way. Loving community is part of our triune God and who he is. So let's, let's apply that to us. To put this another way, loving community, therefore, is not so much kind of some strategy of God's. It is the identity of God, friends. In fact, let's read that together. I want you to remember this. Loving community is not so much a strategy of God's, but is the identity of God. It's the identity of our God. And you catch the difference, right? Listen to this. John, Jesus referred to this in his high priestly prayer in John 17. We read this in John 17, 20, verse, just before Jesus goes to the cross. Jesus prayed, I pray that they all, his followers, may be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I'm in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you've sent me. So understand this. It's like Jesus couldn't help it, that the love he received from the Father and the Spirit, it flowed out of him to us. He couldn't help it. And, and think of this now for us today. Friends, we are called the body of Christ, right? Me meaning we are the flesh and blood, essentially, of Jesus in our world today. We are therefore, as, as we live in authentic, loving community with one another then, that means we can experience a part of who God is. 
And, and we can express a part of who God is to those around us. That is why I think from Scripture, you cannot fully abide in Jesus without being a part of his community. Let me say that again. I don't think you can fully abide in Jesus without being a part of his community, however that community might be expressed. Understand this from Scripture. Friends, there is no kind of independent self-study. I'm just going to follow Jesus on my own discipleship plan. Therefore, in light of that, that's why we here at Southview, that's why as we seek to lead as many as possible to, to passionately follow Jesus, that, that a vital means for moving ahead in that God-given mission is, is seeking that everyone who worships at Southview could be part of some little community, some small group, a group of friends journeying together. And, and whether that's some formal Southview small group or something informal you form on your own, either can be wonderfully fruitful. And there's a second reason I want to look at. A, a second reason for why our walking together in community is, is so important to Jesus. You know, as you read through the Gospels, if you've done that, you, you kind of can't help but wonder at times, okay, so why did Jesus do life in community? What did he need these 12 disciples for? Because really, you think about it, did, did these 12 disciples really enhance Jesus' teaching or ministry? Because you think of it, you read the stories that are told to us in Scripture. I mean, they were the ones who often seemed to totally misunderstand Jesus' teaching, right? I mean, they argued all the time, even with him at times. And in complete contrast to the spirit of Jesus, it was like their number one debate was, which one of us is the greatest? That's what they argued about. And, and so they were the ones who tried to keep children away from Jesus when Jesus was saying, I want the kids to come to me. They were the ones, when Jesus said to them, I want you to stay awake and pray with me in the garden, they went to sleep. But on the other hand, when Jesus said to them, it is now time to sleep in this boat, they woke him up to pray. They promised to be with Jesus through his darkest hour, but when he went to the cross, every one of them fled away. And then we read in Luke 9, when they go through a Samaritan town, they didn't feel that town was sufficiently welcoming to all of them. So they asked Jesus a question. Hey, Jesus, should we call down fire from heaven to kind of wipe out these Samaritans? Jesus said, uh, no. And in Mark 9, they said to Jesus, okay, Jesus, understand, we, we saw a man who was casting out demons in, in your name, but he wasn't one of us, so we stopped him. Didn't we do good? Jesus said, actually, no. Thomas was a doubter. I mean, Judas, he was a thief. Levi was a tax collector. Peter cut off a guy's ear. You read through the stories and you kind of want to ask, where did Jesus get these guys? Like, did disciples or us have a clearance sale or something? I mean, what did he need these guys for? And, and actually, one answer is this. Because Jesus wanted somebody to love. And by that, understand. It, it doesn't mean he was needy or insecure or emotionally lacking. He wasn't. But rather, I mean by that, that, it, that the, at the core of everything Jesus is about, at the core of everything Jesus is about, which at times we make so complicated, you could say there is one word at the core of Jesus. It's just about love. That's how Scripture describes it. Right, love rightly understood. 
So, so why is having a, a kind of a loving, a little community, a small group, so vital for us? Friends, for, for one, a second reason, it's a place where we can love others the way Jesus loved. I, I just want us to understand and remember how essential this was in Jesus' teaching. On, and think about it. On the night that Jesus was betrayed and headed to the cross, he kept giving one command to his followers over and over again. In fact, if you go back to John, in John chapter 15, John chapter 15, Jesus said to them on that night, this is my commandment. And you would think if we were listening to Jesus, if Jesus was up here and said, Southview, this is my commandment, you kind of wonder, what is it going to be? I mean, what is the commandment of Jesus? Remember what he said? That you love one another as I've loved you. And then a little later on, Jesus says in verse 17, these commands I give you, all these commands I give you so that you will love one another. Another point early on, he says this in John 13, 35. Remember his words there? In fact, let's read it together. Read this with me. By this, all people will know you are my disciples. If you have love for one another, if you have love, if you walk in that kind of way, it's like the whole credibility of Jesus' mission rests on us living this out. Now, not that we are smarter than others, not that we build something bigger or impressive, but simply that we actually love one another. Like Jesus said to his 12 disciples, I want you to be the most authentically loving group in the world. And really, he says the same thing to us. That this is to us, right here at Southview, at, at every gathering, every small group. And, and this is to be, we, we are to be a community of markedly Christ-like love. I, I, I don't want you to miss this. It, think of it, if, if Jesus' core command to us is, I want you to love God and then love one another, you can't not love one another in isolation, can you? There have to be some another's around you to, to, to love. Okay, so now a third reason why our walking together in community is so important to Jesus. And for that, let's go back to that verse we read earlier in Acts. In Acts chapter 2 and, and verse 46, this is what we read there. In day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and what kind of hearts? Sincere hearts. Sin sincere hearts. Now understand this. Some etymologists tell us that our English word sincere likely comes from two Latin words. The, the first being sino, which means without. The second being cara, which means wax. So understand the word sincere, our English word sincere, literally means to be without wax. Now it's clear, isn't it? Bruce Gretzky gives some explanation of this. Now understand, the ancient Romans, even in the time of Jesus in the early church, they prized ancient statues and pottery. And often, understandably, those statues could be centuries old. So sometimes what sellers would do when they saw cracks or chips in one of the statues or pottery, they would pour wax into the cracked areas of the statue to try to kind of cover over the flaws and essentially make the statue look better than it really was. So if you bought a statue, got it home, looked closely, and found you had one of those wax-filled statues, you'd be ticked. But if the statue was authentic, if there was no attempt to hide the flaws, then that was a statue that essentially could be labeled Sina Cara. It is without wax. 
So here's this new community in Acts 2 where the people got together and they ate with without wax hearts, sincere hearts. There was no hiding. And you kind of wonder, where did they get such an idea? From Jesus. Because understand, Jesus was quite unusual. Because whatever was going on in Jesus, they would know about. When Jesus was sad, they literally saw him weep. When Jesus was tired, they saw him sleep. When he was troubled, he said to them, my soul is troubled, my, I am sorrow, have over, sorrow overwhelming me. These were the ones, his followers, who heard Jesus say, if you go back to the Gospel of John, in, in John chapter 15 and verse 15, this is what Jesus said. Jesus said, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant doesn't know what the master is doing. But I've called you friends. Why? For all that I have heard from my father, I've made known to you. He wasn't hiding stuff. You could say this, Jesus was the most authentic human being who had ever been around. And then Jesus talked a lot. Do you remember his words that he would speak? He talked a lot about how people, especially religious people, often try to look good on the outside while their inner life is really messed up with a lot of hiding going on. And Jesus said, among my people, we will not do that. But that's challenging, isn't it? When I first met my wife, Jillian, we were actually both volunteer leaders in the high school group at the church we were part of in Chicago. And I'll tell you, one of, of the very attractive things about her to me was that she had this amazing quality. I, I, I saw it even in the first times as we were involved in the youth group together. In youth group, you do weird activities, right? And, and if we would do some activity where she like wiped out or messed up, she would just so naturally just start laughing along at herself with everybody else. And you could just kind of tell, boy, she really doesn't care what other people think about her much. I mean, she, there's not a lot of pretense about her. And I'll tell you what, that was so attractive, it was so surprising to me because I cared greatly about what others thought of me. And I'll tell you, I, I still find myself far more calculating than I would like to be on that. I, 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 I wear too much wax. And, and I, I understand about hiding. And, and so I battle. One of my battles is I battle the tendency to try to look better or wiser or more together than I really am. And then that's why I, I desperately need Christian community for, for that very reason. You know, James gives this very simple but rich guidance. Listen to these words from James 5.16. Therefore, church, confess your sins to one another, pray for one another. Why? What would be the fruit of that? Look at how it continues. If you confess your sins to one another, if you pray for one another, do this so that you may be healed. That you may be healed. So we ask this again. So, so why is walking together, together, life on life, so vital? A third reason. Because friends of this, there is sense in which, in, in loving, transparent community, where kind of we take our mask off or we try to walk in transparency with one another, in that kind of setting, that's where our wounds can be healed. Now that's deep community. You know, I've been reflecting on this all week, and I, you could do the same. Just thinking about, you know, those individuals who, who I felt most closely linked to are almost always those with whom we have been most honest and transparent with one another. Same for you. 
even if we haven't known each other very long, when there's that level of honesty, there's, there's some kind of heart connection in that. And then not long ago, we was having coffee with a friend and we were sharing some of the areas in our life that we've been feeling most challenged in or feel like we're missing the mark on. And as, as we shared with one another, it was like both of us responded, well, that's exactly what I've been struggling with. C.S. Lewis says about this, friendship is born at that moment when one person says to another, what, you too? I thought I was the only one. And Jesus said, I want to build a community like that. I want it to look like that. Now understand, this is a new kind of community, and it it takes a while to build up relationships like that. It, It takes a while, it takes time and investment to walk into that level of openness and honesty. You typically don't do that just right away with somebody. I mean, it takes time, but it only happens where people make a commitment to walk together in relationship. So let's understand this as we move in this year. Friends, this is Jesus' plan for us. This is how lives are changed. This is what we're to be doing here. This, life on life. And, And so here's our prayerful vision as we continue into this fall and launch in the year would be that as we come to God and ask him to bless us in this way, that every single person who's part of this congregation would also be part of, in some form, a little community, a small group, a a group of friends, where somebody would know them, pray for them, love them, encourage them, lift them up. And so our objective prayerfully is to line things here, continue to line things here in, in that direction. And if you wonder, okay, so where does that happen? I mean, in, in many different settings and, and to different degrees or levels. Like, for example, you heard Alpha. Now, it's, that's a place where you can start to get together with a small group of others and just start talking about life and faith and belief and question. Our women's Bible study are another expression. The special needs class that meets upstairs here on Sundays. That, that's why our children and youth ministry are oriented around small groups because even our kids need this. Adult small groups are an expression of this. Our men's studies are this. A group of guys who say, we just want to get together regularly to do this. That's an expression. Just this week, I heard of a group of guys who said, they've been getting together on Monday nights. They watch Monday Night Football. They, they pause it at halftime to take time to just share, how's life going on? Then they go to the second half. Hey, that's an expression of this. Right, walking together, even in something you enjoy. And so I'd encourage you, if you're wondering how do you do this, talk to a pastor or or call us or go to our website and see the different ways that you might be able to connect here. I mean, talk to your friends. And and really, I'll tell you this, one of the greatest hindrances typically to this taking place is there's not somebody to just take the initial lead in it, to to break the groundwork, to, to say, you know what, I'll be part of helping organize this for a small group of friends. And it might be for you right here today that God's nudging your heart right now to say, you know what? There are a few people, a few couples, a few other friends that I'm just going to ask, you want to get together regularly? Monday night football, Thursday night football, whatever it would be. (laughs) And just talk about life. And I I think you can picture it. Could you? What if this is with place where no one stood alone? where, Where no one was really hiding we're, we're all, if you could say, we're all in some way, we're walking life on life with one another. Okay, can we pray to that end? Will you pray with me?
Father, there is so much within us. There's so much within me that, that pulls back from this level of transparency of relationship. So we would pray, Father, would you move us as a people to be ones who take risks relationally, who reach out. Would you even guide in the formation of groups, little communities, whatever they would look like, whatever their setting, Father, formal or informal, so that truly every one of us as we gather here would have a place where we're heard, loved, encouraged, and exhorted. And, and to that end, we feel like this has to be of you. So, so fill us with your spirit to this end and guide us, we pray. And ask it in the name and the authority of Jesus Christ himself. And again, all God's people say, Amen. Amen.